optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start to shake. Can I ask you a personal question? Now we're just sitting in a perfect time. I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com slash TFS. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. This is an AMA episode featuring the one and only Kevin Kelly. So Kevin Kelly, I've said this before, might be the real-life most interesting man in the world. He is senior maverick at Wired Magazine. He was founding editor, so I suppose co-founder. Uh, that was in 1993. He also co-founded the All Species Foundation, a nonprofit aimed at cataloging and identifying every living species on Earth. That's not a joke. Uh, in his other spare time, he writes best-selling books, co-founded the Rosetta Project, which is building an archive of all documented human languages, and serves on the board of the Long Now Foundation. And uh, he's a fascinating guy. So uh, imagine, if you will, trying to revive and restore endangered or extinct species, including the woolly mammoth. Yeah, he does that too. So anyway, I have uh, a previous interview with Kevin Kelly, which is in three parts. It's very long, and we delve into 
all sorts of uh, fascinating stuff and his background and so on. So I encourage you to check that out. That's uh, four hour work week, all spelled out.com forward slash Kevin. Just go to four hour work week.com forward slash Kevin. This episode, however, this AMA, meaning ask me anything episode, which is comprised of your questions that were voted up on Reddit. And uh, if you want to see future submissions like this, uh, you can just go to reddit.com, R-E-D-D-I-T.com forward slash R forward slash Tim Ferriss with two R's and two S's. That's where I'll be putting up more of these polls where you can submit questions and vote them up and so on. Uh, in this episode... We touch on uh, we, I say, the royal we, meaning Kevin, uh, on a bunch of stuff, uh, whether that is uh, AI, artificial intelligence as a service like electricity. There are a couple of questions that I really enjoyed his answers to. Specifically, what's the threat that no one is expecting? I think a lot of people will be surprised by that answer. Uh, his thoughts on startups over his 30-plus years of watching them. Uh, what is he afraid of? Does he think the singularity is going to happen? And designer babies, uh, which I also really, really enjoyed. There is a question about me in there that I swear to God was not a plant, uh, but <laughs> you'll notice it when it comes up. Did not ask to have that one put in. Uh, all organic. In any case, Kevin Kelly is a close friend. Uh, much like the interview that I did with Rick Rubin, Kevin is a very, he, he is very subtle in some ways, and uh, what he says has kind of layers upon layers. So listen to some of his answers, and there are certain things that sound very short and perhaps even obvious in some cases that if you contemplate for a minute or two are actually very profound and have uh, immediate applications in multiple areas. So that's all I'll say for now. I hope you enjoy this. It is uh, a different type of episode. Let me know what you think at T Ferris on Twitter and uh, certainly also say hi to Kevin uh, on Twitter. He is at Kevin to Kelly. So Kevin, the number two Kelly. And that is all I'll say about that. Uh, please enjoy round two with Kevin Kelly. Well, hello, innovators, self-improvers, travelers, fans of Tim Ferriss, citizens of the future, and Redditors. This is Kevin Kelly. Thank you, Tim, for having me on another part of your podcast. It's always a privilege and pleasure to be part of your never-ending quest for betterment. I have before me a bunch of questions from Reddit on um, all kinds of diverse topics. And in the interest of maximizing your time and mine, I'll try to read the most interesting questions that I have useful answers to. As usual, the quality and volume of credits is really uh, uh, amazing. It's as par with Reddit. The um, intelligence is really sterling. And I could answer almost um, every one of these, but I really do want to um, leverage our time here. And so um, I'm gone through and marked um, 15 or so, maybe a few more that I think um, would be useful. I'm going to read the names of the people who um, have asked a question, but in the kind of way in which uh, a lot of these handles are deliberately ambiguous, I'm sure to garble some of these in trying to pronounce them. So my pre-apologies. Um, I hope you know who you are. So first off, 
Um, question from Zero Style. If you had to invest your entire life savings into one area of technology today, which would it be? Zero Style, that is just a really, really bad idea. You don't want to invest your entire life savings into any one thing. Hundreds of studies throughout the decades past have shown that by far the best investment strategy is to have something that's much broader and not as much of a lottery as taking all your things into one specified investment, even uh, an area of uh, technology. It's just not a very good idea if that's actually what you're attempting to do. But if you were thinking of this in a meta, more of a metaphorical way in terms of a way to answer the question of where should you put your energy or where should you look to do some uh, investing of part of your um, savings, then I would combine this with two other questions that people have asked. One is under a question from Letters for Reddit who asks, what future technology do I think will have the most impact on our lives that we don't see coming? And a question from the Planck Constant, who asks, uh, what do you see as today's low-hanging fruit in tech or internet that will be analogous to the dot-com domain names in 1985? And so I, I think I have a single answer for those three questions, which is sort of like, What's the next next big thing that one might invest either money or time into? The thing that I'm most excited that I think is really just about coming is AI, artificial intelligence. And this is the AI that um, would be a service, something that you plug into and get not something necessarily that is um, roaming around in a, in a robot head, but it's closer to web servicing or maybe even electricity where you just purchase it and then use it in your product or service. And so um, uh, this is in many ways kind of a very boring enterprise level um, arrangement. It's not necessarily consumer, but I think like electricity uh, 100, 150 years ago, it will transform everything. And there's tons and tons of opportunities to take this utility and make it useful and into a business of some sort. And there aren't really that many big companies that were generating electricity that made money. It was more the companies who made appliances, services, gadgets, that depended on electricity where the wealth was made. And so I think the same thing that there may be only a few companies actually creating the AI that's being sold, but there are a thousand to 10,000 different opportunities to take that commercial grade AI that will be coming along very soon and using it in some ways to make something new and exciting that hasn't been made before. And so the question is like, well, what can I take where I can add some intelligence to it, either a human-like or an unhuman-like intelligence, and make it interesting and useful? And there's no, almost no end to that. And so in, in that very broad landscape, I think there are many, many opportunities 
Um, and I think that, um, it, it, it's completely unknown and unsettled, but it's also maybe not something that's going to happen next year or the year after that. There actually is very few demos of AI that really are convincing right now. There's many hints of it. So uh, this may be still years away. And if you are investing your life savings in it, you're going to have to go in for the long term. And if you are going to invest into it as a career, I think it's still something that you would um, have to understand is going to be years from now before it even has um, a uh, a huge demand for it. So um, AI is what I would say is, is the next frontier. Question two from W. Luft. What is something, a certain habit, skill, hobby, that you believe can have a life-changing impact for most people? I think if you can read 10 books a year, all the way through, beginning to end, books of your choice, it would really change your life. And believe it or not, that's actually a big thing for most people, particularly um, younger people today, to actually accomplish. Every year, read 10 books, and your life will be changed forever. Question three. What current technology... Use by Western society, would you like to see become obsolete in the next 10 years, and why would you like to see it out of circulation? That's a question from what comes up must. So I'd like to see the gas-powered, petrol-fueled, combustible engine disappear. There's almost nothing that it can do that is not done better by an electric motor. And um, there's fewer moving parts. It's simpler. It's more powerful in most cases. Um, uh, it integrates easier into the rest of our lives. Um, the pollution is not direct. It's actually kicked downstream a little bit to the generation of electricity, which can be made much more ecological. Um, and so all around it's better. And um, I think... I don't have to do very much because I think it's on its way out anyway right now just from the general trends in um, improvements in electric motors, brushless motors, batteries. And so um, I think we're near a tipping point where all of a sudden I think um, petrol motors are going to be scarcer and scarcer. Electric motors will become more ubiquitous. Um and um, we see it, this happening in places like China, where I go a lot, and an entire city will have only uh, electric motor scooters. Um, and um, we're on our way to seeing places where they have only electric cars. Um, and I think that's none too soon and much better. And again, this is not just for greeny um, karma. This is because... Electric cars are just better cars. Electric vehicles are just better in almost every dimension. So um, I think that's an upset and a revolution and a disruption and a displacement that I'm really eager to see happen as soon as possible.
Next question is from Helpful Hank. What's the threat, either technological, economic, or otherwise, that's that no one's expecting? Well, that's, again, literally, there's probably nothing that no one expected. There's uh, many people looking forward. But I would say something that's underappreciated right now um, in the range of, say, a 50-year horizon is underpopulation, global underpopulation. That the fact that um, we're not very far away from having fewer humans on the planet every year. And a lot of people would say that's a good thing because um, of the way that we um, consume resources, but uh, we're actually decreasing our resources right now very, very fast. Um, but uh, we're not, re we're not, we're, we have a dearth of um, people and places like China with one child policy and many other places, including Mexico, are aging very, very rapidly, faster even than the U.S. U.S. is sort of unusual in, in the world for a developed country that's maintaining its population. Most places in Europe, which is widely known, um, have birth rates way below the fertility replacement level, meaning that every year they have fewer and fewer people. Um, Japan is famously like that. Um, and many other countries are on the verge, including countries in, in the developing world. And so if, if we take a global population where um, there's a immigration doesn't help, it helps the U.S., but doesn't help the globe, um, this is a serious thing because we have no experience in human history of rising living standards and decreasing population. All our experiences in the last couple hundred years of progress have all relied on increasing population. And so um, this is something that um, I think uh, we haven't really dealt with, which is having a, uh, an economy and, 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 and progress, which is a growth of some sort that doesn't rely on population growth. And so I, I, I'm very, very worried about that. What can you do about it? Well, uh, if you have the resources, I think you should have as many kids as you want to. So this is a question from EC20. Um, let's see what you think about Tim. What's the thing that you most admire about Tim Ferriss and wish you could make part of your own life? That's a really great question. I think one of the things that, that Tim Ferriss does that very few people do well, which is um, he's learned how to discipline his learning. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I love learning, and I spend my life trying to learn new things, but I'm actually not very disciplined about it. I'm not very metho met methodical. I'm, um, I'm hap haphazard. I do it in kind of a, a unplanned, messy way. But Tim is the expert in knowing how his own learning works and dissecting his learning and mastering it and then um, refining in a very disciplined way um, his ability to learn. And I find that completely admirable, amazing. It is sort of a superpower. I wish I had it. Um, and I'm 
trying better through his own examples and his teaching to to try and improve my own life. And so I think that um, uh, it, it's something that really distinguishes Tim is his, his disciplined ability to learn or his ability to learn in a disciplined way. Next question is from Mayus. Um, with proliferation of on-demand apps and products and technologies in general, how can one approach adding value to the lives of people in the mass market? I've hung around a lot of people who have done startups and who have businesses, not just in this kind of current era of the last decade, but I mean over the past 30 or 40 years. And some of these businesses weren't necessarily high-tech at all. They they were um, dealing with you know products or restaurants or food or clothing, shoes, um, and the, the the most reliable place that I've noticed people start is with themselves as a dissatisfied customer. They sort of, there's something in their own experience, in their own interest that they notice that's not being met. They, they have either an expectation, a desire, a want, a frustration. There's something that they have experienced and they have, they have a visceral, um, experience as being disappointed by. And they set out to rectify it. And it's important that when they begin, it's not something to, a craving to solve the mass market. They're not, they're not thinking of the mass market. I think that way lies madness. They're thinking very, very specifically about something of value that begins with them. And then if they find friends or other people that also, that also have that same dissatisfaction and then they can solve their problem. And so it grows in a very direct way. It's not, they don't, step back abstractly and think about what can I do that will interest the most people in the world? No, they're, 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 they start with something that begins with them, some itch that they're going to solve, something that they're going to create, some value. And then they extend that in very slow circles from out of them to others. And um, I think that is is a much better way to start something than working back from saying, I want to appeal to the mass of humanity. What can I make? I think it's very rare when that happens successfully and much more common and sane, actually, to, to start with some, own, some dissatisfaction or yearning you have for you personally. Next question is from Schism. So I'd like to hear very much something along the lines of what are you afraid of, which Vox asked Bill Gates. I am really concerned about nationalism and cyber war. Um, nationalism, I think, is a real disease that uh, we need to overcome. Uh, it's, I think, a hope that eventually it will be seen as something equivalent to like, almost like racism. The, the idea that one nation's interests should somehow trump or be sovereign over other nations' interests. I mean, it's a really crazy idea. Um, it somehow seems perfectly normal for people right now. 
I understand, you know, cheering on a, a sports team, but um, we're talking about a different kind of a stakes in um, nationalism where one nation claims the right to injure another nation. And, that's the, and I think um, cyber war right now is a little bit like that in the sense that um, we don't have rules. We don't have uh, a set of things that we agree on are accepted or unacceptable. We, we do in regular warfare where we say, you know, it's okay to shoot a person, but it's not okay to shoot a civilian. I mean, it's okay to shoot a soldier, but not a civilian. These seem, again, in the abstract, they seem really strange that we would have the wars for killing, but actually it it's better than not having them. And so um, uh, because we have conflict now moving into the, the arena of the digital world, we have we don't have any rules. We don't. The, the the nations like the U.S. are doing offensive attacks. Other nation states and uh, rogue uh, institutions are attacking the U.S., but there's no rules that we have agreed on to say, well, let's not, it's not, it's not fair to uh, cause, you know, the infrastructure to collapse or a bridge to go down or a plane to go down, whatever it is. So right now, um, there are, there's, there are no agreements anywhere. And I think what will happen is that it, it may take some really bad disaster before people, um, people, before nations begin to agree on it. Um, and, and I think that's unnecessary. We could, we could begin to agree on that right now. I, I, I would, Say one last thing about that, and that is, people, or excuse me, nations talk about national security. Well, they're, they're, they're in, in, the, in the cyber arena, in the world of the internet, there is no national security without global security. There's the, 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 the interests of, of everybody to have a, a network that's secure from hackers, which I want. I don't want hackers coming into my computer. I don't want Russian hackers, Chinese hackers, U.S. hackers, NSA. I don't want those people infiltrating my my computer. So I want security, but but there's no way to do that nationally. You have to do it globally, and so um, as long as this is a national issue, it's not going to be solved. And so there has to be a kind of a global approach to this, which will require a surrendering of of this idea of, of sovereignty in, in cyberspace and uh, agreeing to some kind of a, a, a global consensus. And I think that's a huge step, but it is something that worries me because I think without it, we're really set up to have some um, really nasty occurrences, events um, happen uh, with, without such an agreement. Next question is from Stevenio101. How does your view of the future affect how you live your life in the short term? I think, how do you plan for the future when you know so little about the landscape you will be operating in? All right, so things are moving so fast, faster and faster and faster. Um, how can we plan for our lives in the future? And... um yeah, I, I, I agree. This 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 is a real challenge. Um, it it uh, it seems very hard because um, 
One wants to be ready for whatever comes, but what we know is is that um, you can't you cannot plan very far, and there's going to be a lot of surprises. And I think the um, I think the kinds of things that you hear about on this uh, podcast from from Tim are all about um, learning how to learn, and um, you aren't going to know which programming language is going to be used in the future. You aren't going to know, um, you're going to have to relearn and, and you'll be a newbie in uh, the next platform that comes along. You're going to have to start all over again. Um, when we have electric cars and electric um, scooters and everything else, you're going to have to learn how to use those in a different way. So this idea of constantly being a student, constantly learning is the default mode that we're going to be in. And I think um, anyone who studies jazz or improv understands that um, there's kind of a particular stance that you take um, where you remain very nimble and agile, which is one of the reasons why I keep traveling so much. And I recommend that for others is because it keeps your mind flexible. So that's one of the things that, that you want to do is do things that will keep your mind flexible and agile, um, keep changing your mind. Um, and I think the third stance is, is one that maybe someone who does parkour or any kind of, um, frantic athletic, uh, extreme sports, which is that you are always looking for your next step to place your next step so that you constantly have options and that you don't ever want to get into a place where you restrict your options, where you paint yourself into it so you, you, are, you are bound and can't back up or get out. And so the, the kind of move you want to make, the kind of judo move, is you want to always be moving towards a place where you have increased your options rather than decreased them. And... Um, it's more than just having a plan B. It's it's having multiple plans, having ways to keep maneuvering, keep going, rather than um, banking everything on a single plan that is unlikely to come true. Next question is from MD163. What's your definition of journalism? What does it mean... And what do I think the responsibility of a journalist should be? I don't really consider myself a journalist. Um, I think if you um, are authentic and ask honest questions and try very hard to be fair and accurate, fact check, go to the sources, go to the prime documents, that's what it's about. It's, it's, it's about being true and honest and um, I, I think a lot of the other stuff that journalism claims, I, I'm just not that interested in it. There are some responsibilities at a certain level if you have access to certain levels of um, power, then maybe you have more duties, but I, I'm really not interested in that. I, I am interested in, in using writing as a way to help me think and talking to others as a way to learn and 
communicating what I learned to others as a way to make a living. And um, some people may call that journalism, but I, I think of it as, um, as, as writing, as, as reporting, as, um, as sharing. And so um, I'm not very professional in that sense. I haven't been trained. I don't think that way. Um, that may not answer your question, but that's how I see it. Next question from MCraft4100. Um, you mentioned doing things that only you could do and being disciplined to continually act in this way. Could you please elaborate on how you look for such opportunities? It seems competition can actually be a hindrance to one's greatest work. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but there's a second question that follows up by a maestro boss, I think. Um, can you say some more nice, soothing words on being in your 20s and being like this little little wisp in the world before plunging into your career? Um, yeah, I I think those two are very, very similar. So the, the one thing that I would say about it is that um, don't be in a hurry. Um, it's, uh, it's incremental. Um, it's, uh, it, it takes a long time. Um, I think some of the most successful people are late bloomers rather than early bloomers. Some people know and have a very good idea of what it is that they do and they can harvest that and the benefits of that early. Others have to try lots of things because maybe what it is that they do very well is sort of hidden and not obvious in the culture at this time. And so um, that's something to keep in mind too, is is that um, imagine if you were you know, the world's best internet programmer guy and you were born in 1950. I mean, it would just be really tough because what are you going to do? Well, you it would take a long time before you maybe found your way to the MIT railway club and you realize that um, here in this kind of systems approach to the world is where you really had something to offer. Um, so whereas now today you it would be a little bit more obvious to you. So, so that's part of the challenge is, is, is that in, in different times you're, um, you're actually what you do well is going to be appreciated differently. So it may take some people longer to, to really discover this. Um, and I think um, thinking broadly and trying as many different things as possible is really one of the ways that you're going to do this. So, so you, 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 it may take again uh, lots of attempts at trying things that don't seem very obvious in order to really come across what it is that you do with ease and that you do that few others can do. Um, question from Jared Jaynes. Have you tried out the Oculus Rift yet? And if so, did the experience change your view of the future? Um, yes, I have tried it. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's reinforced my idea of the future because, uh, 25 years ago, I, um, tried, uh, virtual reality. And while the Oculus Rift is better, it's not, um, qualitatively better than some of the best VR that has already been out there, stuff at, stuff at uh, Stanford and other places, which I've been trying. So 
This is much more consumer oriented, and it is better. Um, but I was already convinced that this was going to be uh, world changing, and probably the next platform after the smartphone to really take off. And um, I think even before AI, or I should say, the AI will be part of making this um, virtual reality and augmented reality work. So um, there's much potential. Still a few years away from becoming a consumer thing, but I think uh, the HoloLens from Microsoft, the Magic Leap goggles, all these things, not just the Oculus, are all pointing to the fact that there's something big happening in the virtual reality space. Um, next question from Sir Arthur Dane. Uh, inventing yourself, finding yourself, do you have some examples of people you know who drifted along the years without any clear goal and stumbled upon their life task by chance? Mm, not by chance. I think I've, there's lots and lots of examples of people I know who came late to finding their thing. But in between, they weren't drifting, and it didn't come by chance. They came because they were working constantly, even at the times that seemed very remote from what they ended up doing. They were really trying to maximize and get all, everything they could from it. In retrospect, it looks like they were far from where they ended up. But often, this is the only way they could get there. Often, the things that they learned serving tables, driving a bus, you know, being a salesperson, whatever it was that they were doing in between was often crucial to what they were able to do later on. And then, then they wouldn't have gotten there unless they had gone through that. I'm not talking about something fatalistic. I'm just saying that the idea that they were drifting or wasting the time in between was not really accurate. They were just late in arriving where they had the ease and success, but they were working hard all the way along, even when it seemed to be going in 180 degrees from where they ended up. So um, I, I don't think drifting for very long is good. I think sometimes you need to clutch between shifts, and I think wasting time and doing nothing is very good for periods of time to unloosen and unlearn things. Um, and I'm a big, big advocate of, as I said, travel, vacations, goofing off, trying stuff. But I think the idea that you drift around for decades is is not really what I'm recommending. Um, next question from Helpful Hank. In what ways does technology have the power to make people happy? And in what ways does it not have that power? I think in the end all this technology that we're making in our lives and adding to our lives and that we're creating and inventing and trying to sell and buy. I think the only thing that technology gives us that could be sensed or reckoned in the happy column is it gives us more choices. And I think more choices make us happy. So um, sometimes those choices themselves don't lead to happiness People choose to make, to weaponize technology, to make a, a laser gun that shoots people. Um, but the fact that we have more choices makes us happy. And I think that's what we get from technology in the end. And so I think, again, this is about keeping our options, increasing the options, opening up, and um, making more options in life. And I think that's uh, something that we get from technology. 
Um, next question from Colby Seans says, how far will technology take us by 2020? It'll take us all the way. Next question from Sirenity. Um, do you see any possibilities for need, uh, or need for a new mythology to arise in the coming decades? A mythology which integrates our understanding of science and technology and the pace of change with the actualities of human experience. I do. And I think it's a big vacuum. And I think that we are going to see... Um, new mythologies arise. And and in some senses, I think the singularity is a new mythology. It happens to be a myth that I think is just a myth, but it's a very powerful idea that will never go away. And so in that sense, it is a new mythology. But I think we're also going to make other mythologies that are new and that are in, you know, supported by um, science and technology and that have spiritual aspects. And so um, there will definitely be new religions in the coming 50 to 100 years, and particularly in places like um, China or Russia, where there is a real vacuum right now for something big to believe in. Because communism doesn't work. They don't have constitutions that they believe in. There's very few other uh, texts that are foundational. And so um, even religion is sort of in dis- disrepute officially in China. So, so, th- so, so this is a... Uh, an empty vacuum that's going to be filled with um, new mythologies. So, um, uh, Tweets Happen asked, do you have any tips for finding one's purpose or mission in life, the thing that only you can do, which we talked about earlier, for someone who's completely unsure? I don't, other than whatever you said, which is um, take your time, Make new mistakes. Um, try as many things as you can. Uh, travel to keep your mind agile. And um, understand that it may take you longer than others, but don't worry about that. So I have just time for two last questions. One from Sate Sauce. Do you think the technological singularity will happen? I don't. I think it's a myth, a very powerful myth. But in the sense of it being an AI that takes over and uh, makes another AI so smart that it becomes, through immediate generations, becomes God. No, I don't. I don't think. I don't believe that myth. But I do think it's a very powerful idea. And last question from a Simple Goy: What do you think will be the impact of designer babies in the future? Will everyone eventually become super intelligent, blue-eyed people? You know, I do think. We will have designer babies in the future. I'm not necessarily people want, I think, or are going to think blue eyes are such a good idea when they can make green or purple. And super intelligent is a problem because intelligence is not a single dimension. Um, you know, a lot of harm is done by really smart people. Um, I think we'll begin to understand through these attempts to make super intelligent people that, um, uh, there are all different kinds of intelligences. Uh, you know, um, a lot of books written showing that there's um, EQ, emotional intelligence. There's there's lots of different ways to be intelligent. And some of those are actually much more important than, say, being a, a math genius. And so um, 
when we understand that and when we try to make our kids intelligent in different ways, um, I, I, I think that that's a much more interesting challenge. And um, it's not going to be as a simple one. Um, and I'm not even so sure that we'll come to regard it as a desirable thing to do. Um, I suspect, and I could be wrong, I suspect that what we'll end up doing is trying to make each person have their own kind of intelligence. And that's just not a matter of trying to move some genes around. That's a matter of moving their environment, their education, all kinds of things. And so I think what you really want to have is you want to have a your child have their own unique special intelligence. And I think that's um, a much wider thing than just genetic engineering, although that will be part of it. So, um, wow, those are amazing questions. Thank you for asking them. I hope I was um, helpful in some ways. Thanks again to Tim Ferriss for having me on. And um, I really appreciate uh, your attention to my work. And I wish you the best. Go forth and thrive. Prosper and thrive. Thanks. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out, and just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by Mizzen and Maine. Don't worry about the spelling. All you need to know is this. I have organized my entire life around avoiding fancy shirts because you have to iron them, you sweat through them, they smell really easily, they're a pain in the ass. Mizzen and Maine has given me the only shirt that I need. And what I mean by that, and Kelly Starrett loves these shirts as well, is that you can trick people. They look really fancy, so you can take them out to nice dinners, whatever, but they're made from athletic sweat-wicking material. So you can throw this thing into your luggage in a heap or on your kitchen table like I did recently, and then pull it out, throw it on with no ironing, no steaming, no nothing, walk out, and you could probably wear this thing for a week straight or make it your only dress shirt and take it on trips for weeks at a time. Never wash it. It will not smell. You will not sweat through it. You got to check these things out. So go to fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out, fourhourworkweek.com forward slash shirts. Check it out, fourhourworkweek.com forward slash shirts, and you'll see some of my favorite gear, including the one shirt that I've been traveling with. This episode is brought to you by Vimeo Pro, which is the ideal video hosting platform for entrepreneurs. And in fact, a bunch of my startups already use Vimeo Pro, including Wealthfront, 
who uses it to explain how Wealthfront works. TaskRabbit uses it to tell their company's story. And there are many other names you would recognize among their customers, Airbnb, Etsy, etc. Why do they use it? Well, Vimeo Pro provides enterprise-level video hosting for a fraction of the usual cost. Features include gorgeous high-quality playback with no ads, up to 20 gigabytes of video storage every week, unlimited plays and views, and a fully customizable video player, which can include your logo, custom outro, etc. You also get VIP support. And you get all of this for just $199 per year. That's $17 a month with no complicated bandwidth calculations or hidden fees. And you can try it risk-free for 30 days. So check it out. Vimeo.com forward slash business. That's V-I-M-E-O.com forward slash business. And use promo code TIM to get 25% off. That's a special discount just for you guys. So check it out. Vimeo.com forward slash business. Promo code TIM. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.